Hello there. You are listening to At The Well, the weekly Bible podcast that helps you see yourself in the stories of Scripture. I'm Jarrell. I'm Charles. And I'm Eli. And we're delighted that you're joining us for this week's discussion. This week's discussion, which is back over the virtual recording booth, gentlemen, it's good to see your little boxes on Zoom. How are we feeling today? Doing all right. Wish we were in person, but uh, all things considered, doing okay. Same. Um, I'm really refreshed last night. The three of us were really just like our body of believers, like got together for a really cool online trivia. And oh my gosh, it was wonderful. I'm so refreshed. It was good to see all of you. Indeed. Even even virtually, it's good to see you guys. And yeah, it was really fun having a bigger group to to meet together over Zoom yesterday. And battle it out over trivia i think some uh some rivalries were started from our our trivia adventures we'll see what happens in further installments <laughs> all right well let's get things started with our question of the week segment if you'd like to submit a question for us to answer during the segment you can email us at three guys at the well at gmail.com that's the number three then guys at the well all one word and lowercase at gmail.com so this week's question comes from our friend Danny, whose apartment I'm actually squatting in right now because my wife is using our apartment uh, for uh, a meeting with a, a friends today. Um, so thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Um, her question uh, is, if you could have a limitless supply of any condiments on your person at all times, what would it be and why? Okay, so... Chimichurri for the savory condiment and just like melted chocolate, like melted dark chocolate. Stop it. Stop it, Charles. Fix your face. (laughs) What'd you say? No. (laughs) I I think that's a condiment. (laughs) That's 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 called you know, that's like a a chocolate fondue. You know, it's not a condiment. If I if I could carry that around, I'd be good. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not a condiment. (laughs) also who said you get two (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i immediately think of like you need to balance the salty in the in the sweet right so i in my answer (laughs) look bougie eli is the nickname for a reason (laughs) we're gonna stay on brand and i want chimichurri (laughs) and a chocolate fondue machine I like how the question the question was which condiment and Eli's first response was okay for the savory one no that the one that is the one which condiments <laughs> singular are you choosing fine chimichurri <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have to go with uh, honey mustard oh you took mine oh really yeah I was either going to do that or barbecue sauce but I feel like barbecue sauce is just like a very like bold flavor, whereas honey mustard can be more subtle and it can be creamy. So you can put it on more things. So yeah, I think honey oh. mustard is mine. Oh, wait, what brand of honey mustard since you both are doing the same thing? Like Chick-fil-A honey mustard, McDonald's honey mustard. Is there a particular store brand you like? I was, mm. I was honestly thinking Chick-fil-A. Um, mm. That's what I was thinking. Chick-fil-A is... Chick-fil-A sauces in general are so good. Oh, I'm getting hungry. I, th- I think I'd have to go with Chick-fil-A just because of the, the reputation they have of just banging sauces, including their honey mustard. 
Nice. And their Chick-fil-A sauce, which really is just a different type of honey mustard. With mayo, I feel. I think that's it's it. It's mainly mayo. It's yeah. mainly mayo with a hint of honey mustard. So which I'm is not delicious. A- it's so good. Oh, <laughs> so good. That's a good call. Hellman's honey mustard is also good, just like the normal, like in a bottle kind. But push comes to shove. I'd have to go with Chick-fil-A. Uh, please sponsor us, Chick-fil-A. Okay, so we're going to get started with this week's passage. Uh, this week's passage is from, okay, so this, I'm going to preface it again here. This is another long one. I don't know what our problem was this season and why we picked stories that span three to four chapters of the Bible and then try to cut them into uh, the most relevant pieces to the whole story. So brace yourselves, I, as I am. This passage comes from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 37 through 39, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, and chapter 18, verses 6 through 15. Um, so if you're, when you're, where you're listening to this, we have the verses at the bottom of the episode descriptions. I'd highly recommend just checking those out uh, for your own. Um, benefit but if you have your if you're trying to keep along with this bless you Uh, but you have your bible and aren't driving you can start turning there now while i set the scene absalom's brother amnon did a terrible thing a disgusting and unthinkable thing to their sister tamar because of this fury and a thirst for vengeance boiled inside absalom Though his father, David, tried to calm him down, he decided that he could not let this stand. Absalom devised a plot to trick Amnon into a meeting. He then commanded his men to slay his brother where he stood. Fearing the wrath of his father, Absalom fled Jerusalem. There was no turning back now. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahad, king of Geshur, and David mourned his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed for Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, see Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king to say, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face, but if there, is, if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him, 
And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. After this had happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now he, Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. And so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur in Syria, saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. And so Absalom's people went out, in, out into the field to battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. But the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword. Then Absalom met the servants of David uh, riding on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth tree, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And the mule which was under him went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive 10, a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Atai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart, while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. That was a doozy. Gentlemen, let's start by breaking breaking this down. What are some things that, that stuck out to you about, about Absalom here? Okay, so chaos is what I would use to describe this scenario. Um, yep. <clears throat> there is not a single man in this account that I admire or want the qualities of. And this includes 
David at this point in time. He's not, I don't know, like he's to me is slipping as a father a little bit when he had the opportunity to really speak with both of his sons. So we're dealing with Amnon at the beginning of this. And though Absalom, his brother, is the main character of what we're going to be working through, like this all popped off because Amnon uh, violated, raped his own half-sister, but his brother Absalom's full sister. I'd say because the, the theme of, our, of this season is spiritual leadership, just the, other, just the utter lack of spiritual leadership in teaching these brothers how to, how to discern decision-making. Um, in the beginning of chapter 13, where you started off, Pharrell, Amnon was obsessed and infatuated with his half-sister Tamar. And instead of someone speaking sense to him, his advisor gave him a way to bring her close to him. You never want to bring someone who can be victimized by someone who is like emotionally unstable close to that person. And I guess David was busy being a king. I don't know. It just, it, it just seems like there were, there were too many men who weren't thinking about how these young men discern decisions. And, and actually, I want to double down on a point. Um, it's uh, particularly about David in that uh, we look at the story, Absalom later on has this, this plot, right, to basically overtake the throne. It's very clear he has a premeditated plan to take over the throne. And um, I, I was like, why? why? Why does he have this? Well, we see in verse... Uh, or chapter 15, verse 4, uh, Absalom, let me read it here from my Bible. It, this is when the people are coming into the cities and he's kind of stationed at the gate and he's, and he's talking to them. He said, uh, if only I were judged in the land, then all who had a suit or cause might come to me and I would give them justice. And that to me stuck out because I'm wondering, why did he overtake, plan to overtake the throne? Maybe because he, because of the unjust treatment, he felt his dad, the king, applied to his own family. Because what precedes this story is like there is no justice done by David for uh, against Amnon for what he did within his family. Um, I can't quite remember, but there's no kind of like talking to, no justice, no punishment. And, and Absalom cannot abide by that, which is why he takes matters into his own hands and plots to kill his brother. Um, and so I was just thinking, maybe because of the unjust treatment that David, his um, Absalom's perception of unjust treatment that his dad did not take. He didn't take any justice in, in, this, in the situation. Yeah, no, I had, I had a very similar thought, Charles. And it, again, we're kind of, as we, we, we do, are looking into just trying to put ourselves in the mind space of, of these characters. But I had a similar thought of this being something where there's justice that was clearly lacked in the case of Amnon and, and Tamar. Um, but also is, you, you can kind of see that that, that kind of wrecked uh, Absalom's relationship with David, where it was something where he no longer trusted either David's version of justice or lack thereof. He no longer trusted him as a leader, just entirely, like full stop. And so that's kind of what spurred him on to this, like, I, I like genuinely, like, I think I could do better. Or maybe it was just anything is better than him. And you can kind of see where 
that relationship between father and son completely uh, caved in on itself because of inaction from David to the point where Absalom wasn't just content being away and estranged from his father for, I think it was uh, three years, but when he came back, wanted him out of the picture entirely. And just how that was left to like fester inside of him because of David's lack of action on a very like terrible thing um, that happened in his family. And if you like nitpicking some of the more details of the story, kind of doubling down again on what you said, Eli, on like the absence of of parenting on David's part, like (laughs) we look at um, Absalom returns to the city of the king. And he wants a, a, a conference with his dad. And he goes to his dad's servant and is like, hey, can I get a meeting with him? And he doesn't respond. And so what does Absalom do? He sets fire to the king's servant's field to get his attention. I mean, talk about a very childish way to get what you want. Like, they're, you're talking about, like, emotions not being in check. Like that clearly, and I think we've talked about this before, clearly this man was not instructed in the way of how to handle emotions, how to to handle discouragement and someone saying no to you. It's very clearly uh, something that a parent, uh, someone in authority should have been teaching this man that clearly, it's just, it's also funny. Like, oh, you're not gonna give me um, uh, a conference with my dad? Well, you don't get any wheat. You know, I'm just gonna, you just get none. But it's just, I think it speaks to a larger thing of like, this man clearly was not instructed in, as scripture says, in the way he should go when it comes to like handling discouragement and his own emotions. Um, And it was all toward, aimed and oriented towards overthrowing the government. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like that, there's so many snippets to this where you get, glimpses into like what is a very fractured state of mind for Absalom like him burning down a field because Joab wouldn't take a meeting with him uh the detail that he named his only daughter after his sister right which is such a I I missed that until you read that and I did a double take like there and it, it just shows like that that clearly as it would for anybody like like rooted itself in him and what happened to her was something that like he carried into his own like family, which is just like, geez, like I, we say all the time, the Bible is very interesting. This entire layout is, it reads as if it was like written for, as like a super villain origin story. Like this thing that happened in this family, like embedded itself in this guy's mental state for years. And I don't say it's like trivialize it, but genuinely you can see like the way he lashes out at Joab, uh him like keeping the memory of his daughter with him like his uh, his sister rather sorry uh with him like there's so much trauma in absalom that kind of manifests itself in this way uh and again a lot of it being the result of david just not really just really abdicating um responsibility and you can see as we've seen with a lot of characters in this series people who have done bad things, overthrowing the government in this case. If uh, Abimelech killed all of his brothers, like there's so many heinous acts of just like criminality that we see, but underneath that, you just see people who have been failed by people in their lives in no way that excuses their actions, but does put a stark message forward to what is, as shepherds, what does it mean to 
meet those people where they are so that it doesn't kind of lead to these sort of consequences. Yeah, it's it's just interesting. Yeah, and maybe to to get to more like the the theme of of our season, we could talk about the ins and outs of this story for a, a very long time um, and probably enjoy it and just make fun of it. But one of the things that I was struck by was again what I mentioned of David not punishing Amnon. Um, Absalom taking justice into his own hands. And I was thinking about how, okay, wh- how would I handle this or avoid this if I was in David's position? And I was, I was talking or thinking about, as we've discussed before, um, about not creating enmity or division between siblings um, and not showing unfair treatment of of different siblings like you know there's you know you're my favorite daughter you're my favorite son um well david's actions could definitely be perceived as okay amnon did something bad but he didn't get any kind of punishment or talking to from dad so there's probably some favor there and how that is not how it should be we should show equal treatment we should show equal love to each of our kids to our our students to the kids in the youth group whatever our kind of shepherding role is. Um, And we've talked about how that's difficult, um, that there are students, children, um, youth that are easier to love than others, that are easier to pour into than others. But we've also talked about how um, that is perceived. Our children and youth can pick up on that and will lash out and can can kind of fester in them and, and create situations not like this, but you know, similar to this enmity between between um, friends and siblings, and we have a role um, as shepherds of the flock um, to demonstrate love in an equal share. And, you know, just thinking about and putting it in the context of um, Christ's love for us. Christ died on the cross, cross for every single one of us. He didn't like suffer more for 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 those, uh, for some people other than others, he suffered the same for all of us. And therefore, if we're followers of Christ, we need to be demonstrating love and sacrifice and investment um, of those in our care in the same way, to bear the cross, to suffer, um, to love really um, in the same way. And I feel like if David did that, maybe this wouldn't have turned out so bad. Yeah, I I totally um, agree with that assessment, Charles. And as you were speaking, it came to mind that none of the shepherds in this account, none of the men with authority in this account brought any of these broken people to God. Did you notice that no one is really talking about God? <laughs> like there's one there's one occasion in this where God is brought up. And that is, so Joab, one of uh, David's advisors, this is in chapter 14. He <laughs> hires this woman <laughs> to like, to pretend that she's mourning (laughs) and approach King David in a way that would like really deceitfully convince him to bring Absalom back into the kingdom. But she says something really beautiful when she reveals that she was kind of fibbing about everything. She says, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. And there is this incredible need 
for reconciliation, this this incredible need for being brought back into the fold um, that none of these people are about. I'm so happy that this woman spoke. She's unnamed, unfortunately. We, all we know about her is that she's a woman from a, a land called Tokoa. But uh, ultimately, she's the one who brings in, who brings things back to purpose. And she says, like, this is how God would, would behave. And she says this to King David because, quite frankly, he hasn't been behaving in the way that, that God would behave. He's not a... He's not a though he's growing in his relationship with the Lord. He, he is a man who's after God's own heart. He's also clearly uh, still struggling to figure out what that means practically in his life or his personal affairs. And uh, just the, the utter and absolute failure for all of these shepherds in this, in this, um, uh, in this story, whether it was uh, Jonadab, who was advising Amnon before he raped Tamar, whether it's uh, Joab who was advising uh, King David, whether it's King David who was trying to advise Amnon because he was so infatuated with Tamar that he fell ill. Like these people weren't about God's business in their personal affairs. Of course, things are going to wind up shattered. Yeah, this this story made my skin crawl. Um, I wish the Lord were... I wish his dis I wish God's disciples were more about the Lord in this. Um, but I certainly recognize um just like, oh, this is why the world is like as broken as it is, is because God's image bearers and God's disciples so often fall short of being about the business of God in their personal affairs. They it's hiked up to this big thing where it's like, oh, we can pray, we can have these big prayers, but when it comes down to the minute by minute interactions that we have, oh. I'm suddenly going to compartmentalize God somewhere else. He doesn't belong here when in fact he does. Yeah. I was in preparing for our next episode. I was going to talk about call back to a season we've done just like us. And like, uh, I think the same is, is true here, Eli, where uh, the, we can look at this and our skin can crawl. Uh, but at the same time, we can look at it and be like, that, that couldn't be me. Uh, how many times, how have, have I not included the Lord in the day-to-day -day and the troubling situations, maybe not as troubling or despicable as this situation, but, you know, there's, there's a lesson to be learned, um, particularly when we're talking in the context of being shepherds. Um, and I love, and I think I've mentioned it before, the idea of, you know, being shepherds while being shepherded or being of authority while under authority. Um, we still need to submit everything to the Lord. We still need to seek out the Lord in everything. And he desires to, to be sought in, in these complicated situations. He desires to be sought in um, our efforts to, to love as he loved and to um, love equally um, and to invest equally. I, I know for myself, it's easy for me to not kind of seek the Lord in the day-to-day, -day, in the details, in the messes, and kind of muscle my way through it, which maybe that's what David was doing. He's like, I got a kingdom. This is really messy. I'm just going to kind of muscle my way through it. And maybe that's why we don't hear the Lord sought in this in this situation. But I can definitely relate because I've been there. Um, and I think it's, you know, I'm being called on to like, no, I got to, I got to call on the Lord. Uh, and I can't do it on my own. I, I can't shepherd. I can't be a father or a husband um, or a son, son of the Lord, and uh, do what the Lord has asked me to do in my mission and in service without 
his grace. Amen. I, yeah, I was very convicted by everything you both just said and just seeking the Lord in the, the day today. Because I'm, I'm very similar, Charles. I think that sometimes I'm definitely tempted when things are really, really busy or if I'm feeling overwhelmed to just kind of like put my head down and plow through it instead of taking more time to give situations or even just logistics to the Lord. I think this story is a, a great reminder of like, just like in John 15, Jesus talks about being the vine and we are the branches and there's this constant word of abiding and uh, who God is. And that's something that I know in my own life, I sometimes struggle to do and to remember uh, in situations far less severe than this one, but sometimes in very like uh, tense moments, I'm just kind of like, I feel like I'm, I can be panicked and like, I'm just going to go and do this instead of inviting the Lord inside situation to, and I love your, your point on this, Charles, instead of inviting him into it, knowing that he desires to be present there and he is present there. Um, so yeah, it's very, very convicted by, by that. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I also think that there's something in here about spiritual leadership being something in like spiritual leaders or shepherds being people who are not afraid to get their hands dirty. Um, like we, in talking about this story, there's been a lot, we've talked about reconciliation and justice and uh, unity on things. And this goes back to uh, a previous episode, but uh, those things don't come cheap. Uh, reconciliation is not cheap. Uh, actual unity, if it's like between siblings or between a nation, that doesn't come cheap. And there's something specific, like David is, is what, who really jumped off the page for me in this, even though like he's, most of the conversations happen around him because David, he seemed to, as you said, Charles, I was like, oh, the, I got to run the kingdom and all this, but he seemed to treat this issue, this very serious issue between his, his children as if it was something that would just kind of resolve itself. And as if it was something that he could just kind of throw um, his servants at to kind of deal with and it would uh, come together. And when it didn't and a bad thing happened, instead of addressing it for what it was and actually, you know, levying reasonable consequences for it, he just kind of sat back and let things play out. And there was this, this lack of willingness within David to like get his hands dirty and to actually, as the shepherd of his family, insert himself into this and seek the Lord for it, but also take control of it. And, you know, I think of like my own personality type, I am not very naturally confrontational. Um, and that's something that I, in teaching and just in relationships and like in friendships have tried to get better at but i know that like i know the innate awkwardness of like something needs to be being in a situation where it's like something needs to be said here i'm probably the one that has to say it and that initial just like oh i'd rather not like i'd rather not because this is really hard and this is really uncomfortable and i don't want to have to do this but as if we're in positions of being shepherds of the flock that god has entrusted to us we we don't have that option we can't abdicate that responsibility. Um, like I think of uh, in parenting or even in teaching, I've seen people I, I work with do this where there's a conflict between two kids and the, re and the response of the adults in the room is like, okay, come together, say you're sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Say you're sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And then they just like, they move on because that's easy and that's quick and that's cheap. But God has called us to so much more than that. And that shepherds a reconciliation that is not cheap but that is worth it and that he 
promises to walk with us every single step of the way. The reconciliation for between us and God was not cheap. Like it cost God's only son in his blood to make us right with God. So we can't expect us working for the reconciliation between believers to be that much easier. It is always going to come at a cost. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. But in bringing the Lord into it, we acknowledge that he also, as you said, Charles, gives us the grace to be instruments of real reconciliation, real unity, and a real transforming work in the spirit in those moments, even when it's really hard. Um, and that that's, I guess that's my big takeaway from a lot of this. Like, I, I don't want to be a, ma- uh, a man, a servant of God who runs from that kind of discomfort, but I want to be someone who leans into it, gets into the muck and is able to sit in difficult conversations for the sake of the kingdom in confidence that God is waiting for me in those conversations. Oh man. Well, that is all we have time for. Thank you all for listening and bearing with us when what was a a challenging episode to talk about when we first got on zoom, Eli just kind of exhaled and was like, Oh, <laughs> before we prepared to talk about this one. So yeah, thanks for hanging with us. Uh, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. You can check us out at atthewell.podbean.com. We upload new episodes every Monday on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram by searching three guys at the well and head over to our Facebook page to keep the conversation going in a space reserved for further discussion of the topics we cover in each week's episode. We'll talk to you next week here at the well.